to the Colby Cast, episode 15. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, Hope and Bonnie are joined by Colby teacher and homeschooling veteran Mrs. Therese Prudlow. Mrs. Prudlow teaches history, a subject she uses as a lens for engaging all the subjects. The lens of history is a force that diminishes ignorance and necessarily causes hope. It is, ultimately, an affirmation of revelation and an opening of one's eyes to the truth. Stay tuned for practical tips on how to engage history like a historian. Enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. We're joined by Therese Prelow, who's one of the Colby Online instructors and a homeschooling parent. Welcome, Therese. Thanks so much for coming on the Colby cast. Thank you for having me, Bonnie. This is so exciting. It's a real um, pleasure to speak to you today on on your one of your fields of expertise. We are taking a deep dive into the Colby history curriculum today. Therese is ideally suited to tell us about this and her because she takes an approach to life through the lens of history. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Oh, thank you, Bonnie. I'm in my fifth year teaching here at Colby Academy. I teach uh, in the history department, uh, eighth grade, ninth grade, and 11th grade history, as well as I do the high school textbook classes from the Catholic Textbook uh, Project. I'm a parent of uh, three three children. Um, I have a, a daughter who graduated from Colby la- uh, last year. She's a sophomore now in college. and. Um, my youngest is a current student at Colby Academy, and then I have a middle kiddo who we call, he's our forever kid. He has uh, autism, and he, uh, he goes to a special school near where we live. Even before I taught at Colby, we've been a Colby family. I introduced Colby early on in my uh, sort of parenting homeschool career. My kids started, started with doing homeschool classes, and it just sort of naturally led itself into doing online classes. And uh, I was incredibly fortunate to join the Colby uh, faculty as a history teacher, and I have been loving it ever since. Your background is so neat, and hearing how you have just the logical progression of you starting out homeschooling with your family and then stepping into a role at Colby, I sometimes marvel when I'm reading through the faculty bios, how many of them are homeschooling parents, and then they offer their areas of expertise and service to the Colby online school or other areas in Colby that they can they can contribute that way. So I think that is really, really neat. It's a wonderful family uh, atmosphere, I think, for parents and teachers and students alike. That's one of the things we really have always enjoyed about Colby. We have been looking at different areas of the Colby curriculum, doing some deep dives or will be. This is one of the first that we're doing. Teresa, why don't you take us away on this Colby's take on history? History, I mean... I have always had a great love of history. Even when I was a kid, I just loved picking up historical books, even historical literature, novels, and all sorts of things. Um, but I really, uh, really found my love for history 
uh, when I went off to college. So um, I went to a Catholic college in the East, Christendom College. Uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with that. And I was fortunate enough to have uh, Dr. Carroll, Warren Carroll, who had founded the college uh, as my history professor there. And he just instilled a great love of history in each and every one of us that took his class. I mean, he was just passionate about it. Um, and that's one of the things I really liked about Colby as well is, is besides having this great classical curriculum, they rooted everything in this lens of history. Looking at everything through the lens of history is just such a beautiful thing to do. Um, sort of simply state it, you know, we're incarnational people, right? I mean, we live, we're, we're part of the, the incarnation and history is simply is simply that looking at looking at history looking at everything through history is incarnational the incarnation is such an important part of our lives as catholics and i knew once i went to christendom i wanted to study history because i i was interested in so many different topics i was interested in literature and theology and philosophy and um, political science and all of these different uh, subject matters and i realized that i could study all of them within that lens of history and, and sort of delve into them and see them. Um, uh, and that's one of the things I love about Colby is they make the connection with all their courses, especially with literature and theology and history. They're all connected together every year. So we especially see that in the high school years, but even in sort of the middle school years, you can still see that in a simple way. Looking at it through that lens is, is so important. God became man. You know, God chose to disclose himself, embedded himself in human history in a moment in time. And so we learn everything that he revealed to us about himself uh, through history. From the beginning of your Colby experience, Hope, I remember you and our mom talking about how you appreciated how all the Colby courses fit together with across the different subject areas, how they were all connected. And that's like what you're saying, Therese. Things aren't compartmentalized in Colby, which I really, really appreciate. And I started Colby in ninth grade, as I think I've mentioned before. So I was, at first, it was a little much to to keep up with of, whoa, this is showing up in, in history and literature and, and theology and trying to figure out what was going on. But as I got used to it that ninth grade year, I really came to appreciate it. My students, I, I love it. I call it those light bulb moments. And we're in class and we're talking about a particular topic and they're like, Mrs. Prudlow, did you know that we just talked about that same thing in theology class today or in literature class? And I'm like, oh, did you? <laughs> I said, somehow we coordinated all of that. But I mean, it's beautiful and they, and they are making connections from different aspects, you know. So in theology, they're talking about, you know, the heresies of the early church from the theological standpoint. You know, we're, we're looking about at it in history, like when it happened, who was involved, what, what sort of uh, long-term impact it had on Christendom at that time in literature. They're looking at how it may have influenced the literature of the time, literature of the day, how people were presenting themselves. Uh, it, it, it's really neat. It's really neat to see those little moments and those connections, like you're talking about hope, where, you know, the, of them putting those pieces together. And um, and that's why I like history, is that it, it sort of, it sits back there in the back and sort of helps them put the pieces together of where everyone fits and and such to sort of to come to a fuller understanding which I think is great. Throughout the history of mankind we have been through any number of experiences any number of conflicts and 
periods of growth and decline that where we are now comes from those moments. And we are, there are, you know, certain the circumstances may change. They're not exactly the same, but there's very little that hasn't come up before. That's true. That's true. And the students will notice that too. They're like, this is very similar to something that's happening in today's world. And and so we try to make those connections, help them make those connections today that, you know, there's some things that change, but then some things um, that truly do stay the same. And I've had an opportunity to see uh, the Colby history curriculum from second grade and up. So it started with, you know, age appropriate stories for the younger students, Bible history, and also um, stories about the founding fathers and early American history, that kind of thing. And now we're, our younger students are in the Catholic textbook project books. And I really, really like those a lot. And a quote I found in the teacher's manual from the American history textbook for fifth grade from Sea to Shining Sea about historical figures being flesh and blood. They're people just like we are and all that that entails and how that can be easy to forget, but also important to remember, even going back to the ancients as the students get up into high school. And Hope has talked about that before. And our and our oldest, who is in high school now, talks about that as well. They weren't just books yeah. out there and story. They're not just, they're not just fairy tales. They're real. And I think, again, it brings us back. I know I keep saying this, but it brings us back to that, you know, the, the real connection that we want to have with the people um, in our past as we're, as we're learning about them, that they're not just um, floating out there. Uh, and I think Colby does a really great job with that throughout throughout the curriculum you were mentioning in the little kids you know the the k through five uh subjects in there i mean it's it's beautiful they're able to just they're engaging with it just getting to know the stories about these people they're reading the simple textbooks even in so much as as picture books for the kids, you know, letting them engage with people in their time. Um, you start with, you know, the stories. I mean, we have, uh, you know, the ancient Greek myths. You have children's Homer on a sort of a more simple level and lives of the saints and such. And then you encourage them to do hands-on activities, visiting your local museums, learning about your local history as well as history far off and, and your church history. And then they that allows them to develop very nicely into, you know, those uh, a little bit more formal education into history to know a little bit more about names and dates and, and places and, and ideas and how they they developed and, and grow and, and how they change um, and how they're used in different ways even today. But um, no, I think that's really, it's, it's really important to see all these different subjects. One of the ideas you just mentioned, I heard you say, and I was going to ask you about this too, is this idea of uh, bringing together both the, the books that we read, but more experiential learning about history by visiting museums or in our area. And I would imagine other places, there are old time one room schoolhouses where children can go for the day to experience the life of a child a hundred years ago or whatever. Um, these kinds of living history opportunities. That's a really great way, especially for younger kids to sort of engage with different times and to learn about them a little bit, to go and see those. But, you know, they, um, when I was growing up, I used to live near Williamsburg. And so we would try to go to Williamsburg and go and see that. And, and, uh, and that was always really, it was fun and special to see all those different things. And it, it gave a sort of a different context to the spring to life in a certain way, some of the stories that you're reading about. But I always am a huge fan of, um, encouraging people to um, 
explore their local history and and backgrounds and go visit um, museums and and all sorts in their historical societies near them to museums as well. I mean, I am a huge fan of museums. I grew up near the Smithsonian's in D.C. and it seemed like every other week we were, my parents would load us up in the car and take us into, <laughs> into the city to go uh, to just explore the the different um, uh, the different museums. Of course, my favorite was the um, American History Museum and the and the National Gallery of Art. Um, my dad always loved, he was in the Navy, and he had always loved the Air and Space Museum, so we would always go there uh, and all those different things. But I think it's 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 really important. And a great thing that has come up more recently, and actually they're expanding this now because of some of, of our current environment here, is, you know, they have great access to virtual museum tours for so many different places as well. And I'm always encouraging my students to go and, and take some of those virtual tours. And if we have time, we do it of ourselves in our classes. And Okay. So sometimes I think, well, let's find a virtual tour on this. There seem to be so many options now. And then I sort of freeze up thinking, I have all these options. Which one do I choose? Or I go to one and then it's very difficult to navigate which the site to get to where I want to be. And then we're all sitting there going, Okay, what what are we what is this? Like what are we doing here? So do you have some are we done? I do yet? Ha- are we, you know? Yes. Well, and that can happen and or, you know, I mean technology is still trying to catch up with some of these museums and and they are improving all the time. I I mean, I know the uh the Met in New York has virtual tours. National Gallery of Art will do virtual tours on on certain um exhibits. Uh, a favorite of mine of, of to go to virtually is the Vatican Museum. Actually, has a pretty nice virtual tour that you can walk through all their different rooms. Uh, the Louvre is also also has a pretty nice virtual tour that you can go through and see it. Um, I'll send some of these to you if you want to um, add them into our link at the bottom of the podcast. But um, Google Maps actually has some tours as well um, for a couple different places. My favorite one is the catacombs of St. Priscilla in Rome, which is fantastic. And you can, it's, it's actually a Google Maps tour and you walk through the catacombs on there and you can see one of the earliest uh, paintings of Our Lady um, there in the catacombs. It's actually, it's the, we have an online uh, spiritual life oratory at Colby Academy where we um, meet together for weekly rosaries and Monday morning school prayer. And that is our picture at the head of our, um, when you come into our oratory is that, is that picture from St. Priscilla down there. So that's really, that's, that's one of my favorites. I remember when I was a kid, my mom and our mom and I would go to museums and then since she was learning along with me, we would get there and with the in-person tours, we'd kind of have the, well, now what? Especially if we had missed the guided tours or whatever, and we were just kind of left to our own device. Sometimes it was fun to walk around and see what we could find, but we ended up finding a lot of value in doing various scavenger hunts at different museums, because that was a way to have a little bit of structure and a little bit of, oh, this goes to this, and then this goes to that, and things like that, that helped us put it into context and know what to be looking for. Hope, that is an excellent idea. That is, you know, back when my kids were little and I was first homeschooling and we actually would, we were very fortunate to get to travel a good bit. And um, my kids, to keep them from getting bored going to places is I would try to make 
scavenger hunts for them to go and see. So I love hearing that you and your mom did that as well. That's fantastic. I think, and that's something I, I would definitely encourage. Have a purpose, have something you want to go see. Um, don't just, you know, do look it up before you go beforehand and say, oh, I want to go see this one uh, room of art at the museum and start from and use that as your starting point. And then sometimes that'll lead you to other places that you can go in and explore. Because, I mean, again, that's what I love about history is it's all about exploring. You know, you're exploring topics, you're exploring. You may have started like I'll have a student will come in and says, I love learning about World War II and, and battles. And I said, okay, so, you know, let's pick one that you want to, you know, talk about and, and delve into. Um, but then that could lead to other questions and sort of guide them to other topics as well. And so they often will end up wanting to talk about something that they weren't even sure they wanted to talk about when they first uh, started. And find a new area of interest as well that relates or even goes in a new direction. That's neat. Exactly. That's exactly. At least for me and my experience, I when I approached the homeschool curriculum, like, okay, we've got this subject and we've got that subject. I, I was lost to me until um, a little later on that there are ways to combine the subjects of history and um, literature in even in the younger grades with Colby, with many of the saint stories and the historical fiction that is on the literature list for the younger grades as well. So I think that's another way that we've been able to work in a lot of history is by reading the historical fiction and the saint stories that are included. Yeah, I think it's it's just, it's so neat the connections you can make within, within the curriculum at Colby specifically and how history can really help tie it all together. And I really appreciated the emphasis that they put on the historical aspect of history as with their curriculum. And I think the addition of those Catholic textbook project uh, books has been a really nice sort of segue between the early years leading into those primary uh, source high school uh, textbooks. So what did, so you're, I know you've talked a lot about your high school years at Colby Academy. I mean, so what was your favorite subject that you had? And it's okay if it's not history. <laughs> it, be, it became history and literature. It didn't start out that way. So I had no classical background coming into ninth grade. And so we hit ninth and 10th grade um, battles and wars. And I just said, what's going on? I don't like this. We tried to balance it out. I did extra reading like from Dollar's books of book mm -hmm. of Greek myths to remind me or there was more to the Greeks than the battle of Troy, <laughs> things like that. And so in my early high school years, I really liked science. I wanted to do something in the medical field. So I took honors biology and things like that. And then to survive chemistry, I needed twice a week tutoring with uh, a friend of my mom's who actually was the high school chemistry teacher in our town. And history and literature, there were fewer battles, but they also were in more context. Like the context had built up without me really even recognizing it as we were going. And so at that point, I kind of shifted more toward the history and the literature as I really saw the, the people involved in it. And I may have told the story on the podcast already, but I'm not sure. There was one remark in, I think it was Livy, 
talking about Julius Caesar and his troops grilling asparagus for dinner. <laughs> we had grilled asparagus for dinner the night before. And so to 14 or 15 year old me, I was just like, they are real people. And so then we called them asparagus moments. I like the asparagus moments. I think that's really appropriate in there. <laughs> it's a much more historical context. I really enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to see them build. You want to see them, you know, sort of engage in, in sort of that more simple level at the younger age and so that they come to have a love of it so that when they get older and they start learning the details, they're like, oh, I remember this. I remember what we were talking about. I remember I remember painting clay pots when I was little with the with different scenes on it from uh, the ancient Greeks. And and now we're talking about these stories and and um, I always try to uh, connect whatever we're learning in class time, at least within my live classes. So I always try to try to find some visual to go on my PowerPoint, such as um, a, a picture or a vase or a or a building that is connected directly to what we're discussing. So they can say, wow, that's really there. This is the real place people went and saw and talked about. And and I explained to them, you know, like we at one point in um, the 11th grade history, we start talking about Mont Saint-Michel and, and Chartres. And I said, and you can go there. I mean, you're reading about it here in this book, but you can go, you can go put your hands on the walls and touch the same place that everyone throughout history has walked through, just setting their hand against the wall and, and be so connected to them. And the students are like, wow. And they really enjoy that. And um, one of our upcoming episodes is with an alumna who went on the Shark pilgrimage just last year. Keep listening. And I think that one will come out a couple weeks from now. And there are some uh, great resources uh, that are discussing the restoration that they're doing at Chart right now. I can send you the link for that as well. The New Liturgical Movement um, had they had had a link to um, some of the restoration projects that they're doing. Basically, they're just cleaning it um, from so many years of pilgrims coming to visit Chart, and um, they're just slowly cleaning it. And there was some controversy about whether or not it should be cleaned or, or what, but. Um, you know, there it's it will help to preserve the building as well. Hearing about traveling on this pilgrimage and to all these different places to see where people have been before, like you can actually go there. I've heard you talk before about uh, that's one great way to learn about history is is to go and experience it and travel. So I would think that would be especially valuable for the study of ancient history that that the high schoolers start. I think that's great. Yeah, you know, and and. And the wonderful thing about um, how, you know, Colby segues from those using, you know, sort of hands-on and life stories of the saints going into sort of more of a textbook program. And then one of the things that I loved about Colby as a parent, when I was looking for curriculums for my own children, and I hope you talked about this because you started right in ninth grade, was the uh, connection they have with primary sources in the high school. And you know, the beautiful thing about primary sources, it's it's sort of similar to what you were saying, Bonnie, about traveling. You know, traveling, you get to see these places, but sometimes we can't always travel physically to these locations, but we can travel through time and looking at primary sources and looking at what people wrote while things are happening all around them. Um, my students are always amazed by what they they learn. They're like, wow, this person acts, actually knew Charlemagne. This person actually was right there 
uh, talking to St. Augustine and this is what they wrote, you know, I mean, so we, when, you know, we study different people, we read the actual, you know, uh, we talk about St. Monica, we're reading what St. Augustine said about his mother, you know, it's, it, I mean, you can't get more firsthand account than that and more, a greater connection. And I mean, the importance of engaging with these primary sources, and I think Colby does a really, a great balance of presenting these sources that were there. I mean, they're, you know, you're reading them almost in real time as, as it were, and then uh, trying to give the context to the students to explain what's going on, what's happening, and how they're all connecting together, you know. So, you know, we're in ancient Greece, we're, you know, we're talking, Herodotus is, is discussing the various battles, the Persian Wars, and then we're going to go right into Thucydides and discuss, you know, again, those same people are going to crop up again, and we're going to talk about Themistocles and, and all of his um, exploits, as it were. And then, you know, not too far in the future, we'll be delving into Plutarch, who, of course, is writing much a little bit later, but he still is, is he had read those primary sources, and then he compiles more works about these people and really getting to know them uh, in, in sort of an intimate level um, and, and to really engage with the history. I think it's really important. You know, it, it can be challenging, absolutely. Um, but I think as they get used to it and start to see how the connections that are being made, they, they become, um, they're fascinated by it and they want to read more. Um, even amongst the textbooks. So uh, Colby offers, besides our primary source classes, we also have um, in high school, there's that opportunity for some textbook high school courses as well through Colby. But even with those, we try to try engage with them with, um, you know, perhaps a short reading here and there of a primary source to add to that. And that, and that's and that's is a, a nice thing with those Catholic textbooks projects uh, books in the high school level is that they will also insert um, sometimes some short segments from primary sources because it is it's so important to look at uh, history with the people who were were living it at the time and to and to engage with that. One thing that I experienced from the student side of those primary sources, you mentioned that it can be challenging and definitely is. And I, I talked about that a little bit earlier, but then there's like this sense of, wait a second, I'm being brought into this conversation. Like kids want to be grown up, right? They want to have a seat at the table. Uh, they want to be talked to, taken seriously and things like that. And so I think it's easy from the student's idea that this is what it, people don't write like this anymore. People don't talk like this anymore. Why am I reading this? But then kind of past that there's this oh wait a second I'm I'm getting brought into the conversation as the grown-ups are as adults are like I'm getting the same information that the people who founded our country were studying when they were growing up past the initial wariness that I had in ninth grade there's also this sense of like you've been entrusted with something that you're expected to, you're, you're treated like a full participant in society rather than as a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old or, or whatever. 
That is so important, Hope. I, I love how you put that. And it, you're you're so right. Is you know, they want to engage, they want to be part of the conversation and and they can be through that. I mean, what is it? There's that great example where we read um Pericles' speech in ancient Greek. And then at the same time I I make sure we all listen to and they read um the Gettysburg Address. And you know, you know Lincoln had read that speech. You know that and and then they and the kids love to have to debate who who debated better, and um, who presented it better, um, and uh, you know who who learned who learned from the past and improved upon it. Our own founding fathers they read these books, they engaged with them, and so we in turn are can you know engage with others that later on read these same books and have these conversations and there's you know there's I always see a great connection between student when I when I see the students meet up in sort of their their um, Colby connections and such and and that they have that shared um, background of, of knowing some of these stories and they can they'll bring them up and and relate them to you know what they're doing today, like you said, the asparagus moments, having those great asparagus moments and, and engaging with them. They're finding connections, not with just the primary sources at that time, but then all the later writers and, and people who have also engaged with those primary sources through history and up to our present day. And, and uh, one thing I hope to do is, is that those things will never be lost, that we can always make that connection with, um, with our past and it will help us in our present, I hope. This has been a really um, illuminating conversation for me just to think about all these connections that can be made that don't, they're not readily apparent um, to many of us who are not familiar with the classical education uh, approach or um, for whom it might be kind of latent or just kind of haven't thought about these things for a while. So thanks for bringing them to mind. First of all, I just want to thank you both, Hope and Bonnie, for taking the time and inviting me here today to be part of your Colby cast. This is such a wonderful thing that you are doing here, um, discussing these topics uh, for all of our families and friends and such. And for those of us as teachers as well, we, we really appreciate and enjoy listening in. Um, I would just say, you know, uh, enjoy your engagement with history um, and with all the things that you can study within history. And um, that, you know, just remember, I think, as we said before, you know, God chose to disclose himself to to us through through history, through that moment in time, through the incarnation. And the incarnation is so important, as, as my professor in college always said, and it's my all time favorite quote you know, uh, truth exists and the incarnation happened. And that is why we study history. That's why we study all things in history. Never to be afraid of what history has to show us and that we can learn from it. Uh, the good, the bad, and, you know, the, the difficult uh, questions. We should, we should never be afraid to, to look at all these things and, and to uh, study them and that, you know, by when we study the truth, it's apparent what God's plan is for all of us. Um, 
and you know we are we are incarnational people we live in time we we should never be afraid of talking about it like dr carol always said truth exists and the incarnation happened beautiful sentiment it's one i i make all my students memorize every year point of orientation right like start here and then we every all roads lead back to that yeah because there can be difficult topics. I mean, you know, people do have difficulties with um, certain historical events and and wanting to engage in them. And it's okay to look at them from our Catholics. It's not only okay, it's important for us to look at the truth of these events and, and to recognize them and to see when people fail, because we're all human. We're all human. And and our connection with other humans throughout time is is so important. Um, even the saints, you know, the saints are human too, right? So the saints were real people. Um, and I think that's one of the things my students always love so much is that uh, it's a discussion. They're like, wow, the saints were real people. They, you know, they really had um, ups and downs and, and they're all different. They're all different. And it's I think it's beautiful that, you know, God gives us so many great examples for um, people to emulate through time, and and he also and we also have examples of, of things not to emulate <laughs> in time. He sure. brings good out of everything. Uh, yes, <laughs> we don't always see it, and that's why history and 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 that that was the other thought I thought um, I might bring up at the end is that history is ultimately hope. History is ultimately hope. Uh, it's hopeful to look at to look at the at the the good, the bad, and the uh, you know people striving for something more, and and uh, especially in our in our Catholic history, um, in our history of the Church, and and um, what is it? Catholic Textbook Project says the study of history is the study of the Church. You can't study one without the other, but you know that one thing we know through history is it makes us hopeful for the future. You can't, you can never be truly pessimistic in current and difficult times when you look to the past and you see the, uh, what others have struggled with and worked towards. It's, it's ultimately hopeful. So in Colby 12th grade, and I forget whether it's in history or in theology, they have you read Catechism Paragraph 302, which talks about how the world is in a state of journeying toward its ultimate perfection. And that, I think, sums up Colby in one paragraph of all of the, all of the triumphs and all of the foibles and all of the tragedies, they're all still on that path to greater perfection. St. Augustine, City of God, we're all leading towards the City of God at the end. I mean, you know, we're, we're in tension right now. You know, the, the city of man is trying, is striving, but ultimately the goal is, is for the city of God to win. And that's what we aim towards. I love that hope. That's a great quote. I'm going to have to add that to my reading list for my students this year. <laughs> Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.